Ladies and gentlemen, what time is it? That's right, it's problem-solving time, so please welcome your host, Mr. Jason Cook. Hello and welcome to Jason Cook's School of Hard Knocks, the show that helps you quash whatever quandary you may find yourself in. Whether you are insecure about an interview, fretting over a first date or dithering about dumping someone, I, Jason Cook, am here to help. And what makes me qualified, you may ask? Well, thanks to what my last therapist had the audacity to call... An excruciatingly painful set of life decisions. <laughs> and what my wife calls... That mouth of yours. <laughs> I have managed to muck up pretty much every high-pressure situation I've found myself in. But it does mean that now I can bring these lessons so painfully learned from my pitiful life to you, the great British listenership to help you best navigate the unpredictable course of life and make sure you end up on dry land. And to help me on my journey, I have my special friend, so please welcome the glamorous and talented Zoe Harrison. Hello. So, Zoe, any high-pressure life situations I can help you with at all before we get stuck into the audience's issues? Well, uh, my boyfriend is really starting to let himself go, to be honest. I'm just wondering what the best way is to tell him. Basically, he's gained a lot of weight, and I'm not sure if I find him that attractive anymore. Hmm, interesting, Zoe. And a common problem. Perhaps my next friend can help us out with that. Please welcome a good friend of mine and Zoe's real-life boyfriend, Mr Neil Granger. <laughs> so, Neil, any little problems I can help you out with? You said I suited those jeans with the elasticated waistband. <laughs> Neil, problem, please. OK, Jason, I'm... I'm thinking of quitting the gym, but I'm having trouble cancelling my direct debit. Don't quit the gym. What? Or maybe go more. Well, maybe I would go more if I had a little more support at home. I printed out an exercise schedule for you, didn't I? You left it under my donut bowl. It was the only way I could be sure you'd notice it. <laughs> guys, guys, let me help. I know this is a sensitive subject. My wife gets unjustifiably defensive when I talk about her weight, too. I found it best to just be subtle and remember that deep, deep down, Neil has feelings. Try again. Perhaps I should come to the gym with you and then we can work out whilst also spending quality time together. I suppose. Excellent work, Zoe. Excellent. And I believe that to be... Problem solved! So do you see, people, this isn't just a show, this is a mission to grab your lives and wipe them down with the oily rag of my failures so that we can emerge blinking into a brighter tomorrow. Terms and conditions apply. All advice given is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used in your actual lives in any way because Jason Cook is an idiot. <laughs> An idiot? I fixed your fat boyfriend. I'm not fat! I'm just carrying some extra Christmas weight. Terms and conditions apply. The term Christmas weight can only be given to weight added during Christmas and not weight that has been piling on steadily since Easter. <laughs> you told me Brad Pitt was too skinny. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes women lie. <laughs> and so we thunder on to our first problem. From listener Richard Jameson. Richard sent us a letter saying... Dear Jason Cook, School of Hard Knocks, I'm doing a best man speech for the first time and I'm wondering if you had any tips or hints. Well, the best man speech is very tricky. Very simply put, it's a thankless task poured into a poison chalice held by an iron fist in a velvet glove. Of course, history is littered with best men's speeches that have gone awry. And as the laser toast to Eva and Adolf... We're probably all wondering, where's the honeymoon going to be? Or probably South America. <laughs> Guys? No, come on! We're all Nazis here, right? 
or more recently. And it's great to be here for Charles and Nigella. Although Nigella's not been the neatest. I've just been at the kitchen and there's flour all over the place. <laughs> Although I think it's gone off because it tasted awful. I mean, awful. But it's okay. I'm feeling good now. Oh, really good. <laughs> But history doesn't need to repeat itself necessarily, so let's see what we can do for you, Richard. Let's get some practical tips. Firstly, accept you will be nervous. Public speaking is more terrifying than my wife when... Well, more terrifying than my wife. <laughs> and you might think that, having done thousands of stand-up comedy gigs like I have, the fear of the best man's speech is the same, but it's not. Because although stand-up is terrifying, the fear is manageable. The audience want to laugh, they want to like you. But it's the same for public speaking in general. The audience wants you to do well except for the best man speech. <laughs> Literally everyone there wants you to fail. Some will even be taking bets on it. All right, folks, I've got 20 to 1, he cries. 7 to 4, he passes out, and we're doing an accumulator, he wets himself. <laughs> you see, the guests who don't know you, this is their first and probably only encounter with you. They will have no emotional attachment to you, and it'll be a lovely conversation starter for them after the dinner and the mingling. Oh, my God, did you see the best man speech? I know, WTF, hideous, wasn't it? I've already put it on YouTube. Lols, <laughs> shall we be friends? Yeah, let's. Shall we spend the rest of the evening giving him withering looks and shaking our heads? And pointing and whispering. Hurrah! <laughs> Lovely service, by the way, Vicar. Thank you, my child. <laughs> the guests who do know you want you to feel because there is no better feeling in the world than commiserating someone in a really condescending way. Oh, there he is. Bless him. Well, never mind. It's over now. And it's not the worst speech we've seen, is it? Oh, it's pretty close, though. Pretty close. Oh, darling, don't tease him. Can't you see he's crying? Never mind that. I just won 20 quid. Hurrah! <laughs> and as for the groom, the one person you want to be on your side, he wants your speech to feel more than anyone, because the stupider you look, the better he looks standing next to you, a technique employed by both Ant and Deck. Some people say the best way to get on top of your nerves is to imagine the congregation naked. But that could easily backfire. Let's face it, if there's a couple of lookers in there, you could easily start to give the game away. And we're all wondering which of the bridesmaids is going to be catching the nipple. I mean, bouquet. <laughs> so you will be nervous, but the worst thing you can do is drink. For heaven's sake, Richard, do not drink, because no good best man speech ever started with... Hey! Come on! <laughs> yeah! If you're worried about nerves, Richard, the best thing to do is just speak from your heart. You can't go wrong. But be aware, when you speak from your heart, the words come out of your head, and your ears will hear them, as will everybody else's. <laughs> if it's too sentimental, all the women will love it. But every man in there will hate you because they know they'll be getting a lecture about how they aren't as romantic as you, and they never buy you flowers anymore because they spend all their time on their laptop writing their stupid script for their stupid radio show, even though you might point out it's actually quite a big deal to have a radio show in the first place, and you just need to finish the hilarious Nigella's best man speech bit, which apparently is mocking the vulnerable, even though the vulnerable person in question has television shows on both sides of the Atlantic, million-pound boot deals, and you're doing a radio show where you have to bring your own sandwiches due to cutbacks. <laughs> but too much soppiness, and you've lost the respect of everyone in the room. And when I look at the connection that these two heavenly souls share, <laughs> it makes me look up to God and curse the fact that I am a mere mortal. 
I feel like Celine Dion. <laughs> Entwined with Michael Bolton. In a jacuzzi. With Julio Iglesias. <laughs> I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Love is all around me. And so the nipple, I mean, feeling gross. Please, 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 enough, nipple. I mean, Neil, God, I'm doing it now. <laughs> Point number two concerns jokes. Jokes can be good. Jokes can be great. Everyone loves a joke, don't they? <laughs> and at a wedding, standards are lower, so you can get away with anything. There's an old adage that the best man's speech should only take as long as the wedding night. Here's to the bridesmaids! <laughs> no, no, no! You see, light and frothy, but whatever you do, don't get cocky. And we all took a while to recover from the stag night, am I right? <laughs> For the groom, it was two weeks and a course of penicillin. <laughs> no, no, no. Jokes can lift any speech, but remember your audience. Here is an actual speech I was privy to once at a wedding. I mean, come on. They've been living together for three years. It's not going to be a surprise as tonight, are they? Not like John's previous wedding. <laughs> Won't tell you how it ended, but put it this way. Anyone seen the crying game? <laughs> what? Oh, fine. Anyway, don't the bridesmaids look great? Well, most of them. Sorry, Linda. <laughs> But let's see if any of our studio audience can help. Has anyone been a best man in the audience? Madeline Coe, is that right? Hello. Hello. And uh, you have a story about a best man, is that correct? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to the show, Madeline. Yeah. Um, what, what experience of a disastrous best man speech do you have, Madeline? Well, this was at my um, best friend's daughter's wedding and the, the best man was plastered and he thought I was making eyes at him but my contact lens had dropped. <laughs> Were you bending over at the time? No. I think there's many men have thought that women are interested in them since the invention of the contact lens. <laughs> <laughs> Yusuf Hamid, is that right? Where are you, my angel? Can you put your hand up? Hello, Yusuf. How are you there, mate? Yeah, I'm not bad, you. Could you tell us your story of a disastrous best man speech? Well, it starts off, and it's uh, my stepfather. He's getting remarried, so he's not really my stepfather anymore. So start that off. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, to cut a long story short, my cousin decides to start chatting off my mum, basically. So in that sense, bit incest, but I am from the north. So your cousin was the best man? Yeah. And he chatted up your mother? Yes. At her wedding? No, my stepfather. Oh, OK, well, that makes it, I think, classier and clearer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and how did he get on? It didn't go down very well at all, really, but um, we talk about it two years on, so it's good. <laughs> He moved to Nottingham from Leeds, so I suppose that says enough. He moved away? Yeah. Because their love was wrong. <laughs> it depends where you look at it. I just live outside Barnsley. I think a lot of people are quite used to it, though. <laughs> Don't you just love them when they bring their own punchlines? Isn't it nice? <laughs> Isn't it nice and handy for all of us? Can I have a round of applause for all of our people who've given us their stories so far? Mm. 
And so, to summarise, the perfect best man speech is a no-win situation. But you can at least not lose too badly by obeying the following rules. Be passionate. I will love Gerald and Helen until I die. But not too passionate. Or not, whatever. Be funny. And we all know what will be happening in the bridal suite tonight. But not too funny. They'll probably just have a well-earned rest. <laughs> Mention the bridal party. Bagsy that bridesmaid. But respectfully. So that I may read her soothing poetry. <laughs> and finally, raise a toast that flatters everyone. To the bride and groom. May they have many beautiful memories and die within seconds of each other. Holding hands, surrounded by children that all look like them while the Nobel Committee posthumously awards them the prize for love. <laughs> and then get the hell out of there. <laughs> there is, of course, the relatively new phenomenon of the Maid of Honour speech. Unfortunately, for our purposes, this is far less likely to go wrong, although we would say keep the emotions in check. I was privileged to witness a Maid of Honour speech that went like this. I remember when uh, Laura and I were at school together, um, we would stay up late and talk about what kind of man we wanted to marry. <laughs> and she went on to find <laughs> Leave me, I'm all right. And then they found each other and fine. And then they went off to find a group. This, of course, might seem a sexist thing to say that all women cry at weddings, but it's genuinely the only maid of honour speech I've ever seen. And as we all know, the person that cries the most at any wedding is the father of the bride on receipt of the bill. <laughs> How much for flowers? Where were they grown in Donald Trump's backside? <laughs> but paternal finance-based panic attacks aside, what have we learned? Be sincere, but not fawning. Funny, but not cutting, and keep the personal stuff to a minimum whilst giving an indication that you know the groom very well. Ideally, something like this. I am experiencing positive emotions to be here. I have been in a friendship with Brian for 12.7 years. A funny story happened once that involved Brian and myself in an atypical situation. Ha, ha. <laughs> the bridesmaids of consenting age look attractive. Raise drinks, speech ends. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> and I believe that to be... Problem solved! But let us not forget the people who are putting Richard through this. For without married people, there would be no weddings. Which leads us nicely to a young lady named Sarah Aldridge, and I believe we have been emailed a question from Sarah. Zoe? It says, Dear the Jason Cook School of Hard Knocks team, I am getting married in June. What can I do to make it memorable? Easy one, Sarah. I'll tell you how. Just have a normal wedding. You see, this highlights a problem that is ever-growing in this country. Every wedding must now be some ghastly competition of one-upmanship on all previous weddings ever. All the gimmicks have been done. People don't want to see you pulling the rings from a diamond-encrusted swan's egg while a specially trained squirrel plays a duet with an albino Elton John lookalike on a piano made of ice while the guests, dressed as angels, have to do some hideous flash mob dance to Robbie Williams' angels and the priest, who is actually some internet-ordained ukulele-playing rapper, starts moonwalking backwards down the aisle before disappearing into a cake made out of kittens' tears, formed into the shape of the bride and groom's faces, from which flies a flock of white doves showering the congregation in glitter-filled love excrement. <laughs> I 
I have to share with you this story of how largesse breeds contempt in a wedding. You see, being British, we all have a goblin inside us. It's the goblin that sneers at overachievement. Like when you're at a party and one of your friends won't stop going on about the new ski lodge he's just bought. And I mean really, really going on about it. So as you leave, the goblin makes you drag your keys along his Range Rover. <laughs> exactly. You know the one I'm on about. Anyway, I was doing a stand-up gig and there was a woman in the audience who was a wedding planner. Now, this was in Newcastle, where I'm from. And obviously with Geordie weddings, there are certain questions that need to be asked. In the case of my grandmother's second wedding, for example, the question was, how long is the spoon player going to perform for? <laughs> this is a true story and I promise you, you have never lived until you've seen a sweating spoon player wondering what he's going to do for an encore. <laughs> It's time to break out the big guns. Bring me the ladles! <laughs> so, as I was saying, I was speaking to a wedding planner and we will now reenact exactly what she said to me and you're going to feel very sorry for one of the people involved, but then I'm going to tell you a final fact and your goblin of Britishness is going to completely reverse those feelings in a flash. This is exactly how the exchange went. So, uh, you're a wedding planner. Have you done any really bad weddings? Um, yeah, actually, I've just come from one. Oh, oh, really? What happened? The bride left the groom at the altar. Wait, it gets worse. Oh, my God, that's terrible, getting left at the altar. Yeah, but she didn't just leave him for anyone. She left him for his own brother. That's right, you are right to feel sad for this man. But are you ready to have that pity flipped? Here we go. There's something else. Oh, yeah. Well... The groom arrived at the wedding by helicopter. And that's when everyone in the audience did as you just did now, let their goblin flip out their field and said, what a tool. <laughs> he deserves everything he gets, and that is what makes Britain British. <laughs> Neil and Zoe, you guys seem to be constantly at weddings. What's your worst wedding story? Probably that one we went to... Uh, remember that one, the really grand one? Yeah. We, uh, we went to a wedding and it was really, I mean, really expensive. The drive was like a mile long and like 30-foot columns at the front. I mean, it was really expensive. And the best man used his speech as an opportunity to tell the bride and groom how he felt they'd changed and he didn't really like them that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think things started to get a bit tricky when the best man's girlfriend spat in the bride's mother's face. It's true, I was there. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so, Sarah, we hope nothing terrible like that happens at your wedding. But you can do things to help mitigate any disaster. The main thing is... Provide food. Lots of food. A wedding without food is a powder keg waiting to go off. People will be drinking. All day drinking! Which, granted, is the most fun kind of drinking and the drinking on which we built an empire. But... <laughs> It's also the most dangerous. We need food to soak up the booze. And not just some food, and not like a wedding I was at a few years back, Nouvelle Bloody Cuisine. <laughs> which is the promise of food, but without the actual food. <laughs> this was a wedding in an art gallery, which, we, as we all know, are the funnest, most relaxing places on earth. <laughs> seven courses of what equated to seven pitiful mouthfuls with a fresh glass of delicious wine for each and every course. The devastation was incredible. <laughs> it looked like Night of the Living Dead had been filmed in a branch of John Lewis. <laughs> After four hours of this, we were tripping over semi-conscious grandparents. Leave us! We'll only slow you down! 
I had a word. I said to the bride, who was obviously buzzing because it was her special day, I said, We need food. Please. Your people need food. And she said, Well, I'll see what I can do. So, like some modern-day Marie Antoinette, she had a word with the staff. And do you know what they brought us? Donuts. What kind of donuts? Not now, Neil. <laughs> Putting that much sugar into people that drunk is like shaking up a bee's nest and telling the bees that, yes, you can all dance. <laughs> I watched as a room full of people tottering around like newborn foals tried to gyrate to Lady Gaga while my mate's diabetic wife had a funny turn. <laughs> You see, at my wedding, we kept it very traditional. It was vows, traditional, photos, traditional, speeches, traditional. Oh, by the way, Richard, my best man's speech was amazing. It was so funny, but I'm not allowed to see him anymore. <laughs> then dinner, traditional, drinking, traditional. I had to go for a lie down, traditional. <laughs> then I got back up and started drinking again, traditional. And then I went back to bed, just in time for the management of the stately home my wife's parents had hired to knock on the door and tell me that one of my family had been apprehended by the police for stealing drinks. <laughs> a true story, as I got downstairs, I could see my Uncle Sean being towered over by two policemen, and his first words to me were... This isn't my fault. <laughs> Not, I didn't do it, or there's been some kind of misunderstanding. No, just an admission of the crime and a swift shirk of responsibility for it. Although, as an opening gambit, it's pretty strong. The manageress said... He's been taking drinks from the members' bar. At which point my Uncle Sean came out with a defence that even now, six years later, I think is watertight. Look, if they're going to shut the bar at one, what do they think's going to happen? <laughs> and for me, the next bit really seals the deal. Anyway, I wasn't stealing anything because I've written them all down. And he had a full list. He even had a float going to give change to the other guests at my wedding. <laughs> the man's a legend. Anyway, that's my advice. But can anyone in the audience help our bride-to-be? Anyone been to a particularly memorable wedding? And what's your name, my angel? Susie. Susie. And what was your wedding hell? Uh, my friend had her wedding on an England-German World Cup game. <sighs> Ooh. In the service, one of the hymns she chose was Jerusalem, which was the World Cup anthem for England at the time. The match was on during her reception. Brilliant. And they had to go hunting for the um, groom because they couldn't find him because he was watching the match. In fact, <laughs> in fact, all the male guests were in the other room watching the football match. There was no male guests left for the first dance or anything. <laughs> <laughs> So she had to do her first dance on her own while England played Germany. <laughs> that is incredible. Are they still together now? As far as I'm aware. <laughs> That's They're amazing. not allowed to speak to me now. They're not allowed to speak to you. What did you do? Bring the telly. <laughs> OK, and what's your name? My name is Lynn from Cape Town. Hello, Hi. Lynn from Cape Town. Hi. What a lovely sing-songy voice you have. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And what's your particular wedding story? Uh, actually, uh, I was at a friend's uh, son's wedding, and the bride was a very prim and proper English teacher, and she was making a speech. So she turned around to her husband, she said, I know you don't like to blow your own trumpet, but tonight I'm going to blow yours. <laughs> just to let you all know, Radio 4 just closed. <laughs> Now we have 
David Myers. We had David Myers, uh, who wrote on, on one of our sheets to give us a lovely chair. David's just there. That's fantastic. Thank you, David. And um, what's your name, my friend? John. OK. <laughs> he deserves it. He deserves it. I don't mind it when a heckler gets the better of me. That's... What did you see at a wedding, David? I can't remember what I put. OK. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to read it back to you? <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind. Sorry? If you don't mind. <laughs> Is that a northeast twang as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought it might be. That's right. <laughs> was it a Sunderland type accent? No, nah, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough? Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. Even people in London who've never heard of Middlesbrough went, don't like it. <laughs> um, there's a bit of paper with some words on that oh, you yeah, wrote. I got it now, yeah. Uh, it was about being a plus one. At yeah, the even... yeah, I was at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> come on, then. <laughs> yeah, I got an invitation to my friend's cousin's wedding, just saying, do you want to come along as a plus one? And I ummed and hard. I thought, why not? It's a bit of a drink. And... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I was only invited to the evening do, and when I got there, I seen one of the old, uh, one of the lads I used to know at school, and I seen him at the bar, and I said, oh, "All right, mate, uh, how do you know the bride and groom?" He said, "I'm the bride, I'm the groom." Um, <laughs> who, who invited you? <laughs> I think we all secretly hoped he had said, "I'm the bride." That would have been. <laughs> My, you've changed since school. <laughs> Can I have a round of applause for all of our people who have given us their stories so far? Mate? <laughs> and so, what have we learned? That weddings should be traditional. We're having a simple service. But not too traditional. Then we're sacrificing one of the flower girls to the sun god Ra. <laughs> they can be romantic. I'm having some daisies woven into my hair. But not too romantic. My pubic hair. <laughs> But most of all, it should be fun. And we danced and sang until the small hours. But not too much fun. Granny's twerking! <laughs> and I believe that to be... Problem solved! We hope that helps, Sarah. Good luck on your big day. It can't go wrong now. And if it does, people will remember it forever. So win-win. And do you know what? I've learned something today as well, Jace. What's that, Zoe? Well, all this talk of weddings and romances made me realise that I love Neil, no matter how big his little tumpkin. And I've learned that I should probably go to the gym more so I can keep my options open. <laughs> Brilliant, Neil and Zoe. That's a great step forward. And do you know what this means? No. Problem solved! We'll solve more of your problems at the same time next week, but until then... It's good night from me. And it's good nipple from me. I mean, night. <laughs> good nipple! Jason Cook's School of Hard Knocks was hosted by Jason Cook with Zoe Harrison and Neil Granger. The script was written by Jason Cook with additional material by Zoe Harrison, Neil Granger and Graham Duff. The producer was Sam Michelle.